I'm DJ Psyched, and you're listening to the Get Psyched Podcast. Let's get psyched about reading. I'm DJ Psyched, and you're listening to the Get Psyched Podcast. Today, we're getting psyched about reading again, and we're going to be talking about The Eye of Minds by James Dashner. This book is a young adult fiction. It's also science fiction, and it's about 310 pages long. I decided to read this book because I really love The Maze Runner, which is another series by James Dashner. It's actually my favorite book series ever, so I was really excited when I found out that James Dashner has another book series. I heard about this book in high school, and I bought this and the second book in the series, which is The Rule of Thoughts, which I'm reading now. I bought these two books back in high school, and I did read them back in high school, but that was a really long time ago. And when I was in college, he came out with a third book in this series, which I also bought, but I hadn't read the first two books in so long that I was planning to read those first two books and then go back and read the third book. But I really never got around to that until now. I reread the Maze Runner series earlier this year, and now I'm reading the Eye of Mind series. And so I wanted to talk about it a bit because I thought it was a really interesting read. Although it didn't quite hook me in the way the Maze Runner did, which is an unrealistic standard to set for it anyways, because that is my absolute favorite book series, I still think it's a really good book, and I really, really like the ending, and I think that that's kind of what's making this series exciting for me, because I wasn't too into the book when I first started reading it, but like I said, the ending was really good, and it has me hooked, and I can't wait to see what happens in the next book. So a short summary about what The Eye of Minds is about, our main character's name is Michael, and he's a big gamer. In his world, much like the world of Spy Kids, gaming is a much more realistic thing than it is for us. For them, there's this thing called the coffin, and they lay in it. These little wispy tubes, they'll like go into your body and strike your nerves and stuff, so that when you feel something in the game, you'll end up feeling it in the real world without the severe consequences, right? Like if you were to like die in the game, you would feel the pain of whatever killed you. However, you're not going to die in real life. And that goes to something in their mind called their cores. And in order to make their world so realistic, the way they explain it in the book is the only way that they could make it feel so realistic is to basically make it real, except protect you with your core. So yes, if your core gets damaged, you could end up dying in the real world because that's what's separating you from the reality of dying and the game dying, which becomes an important point later in this book. I'm not going to give away too many spoilers just yet. But yeah, so there's this Michael kid, he has a coffin, he has one of the most expensive, best coffins out there, his parents bought him this really extravagant one, so he feels everything like it's reality, and he lives in this game, he lives for this game, he plays all the time, and he has two best friends in the game. Since it's so realistic, he has never met his friends in real life, but he feels very close to them because they basically hang out in life together. I mean, in this vert world, you do everything you need to do in real life. You actually get hungry and you have to eat to replenish yourself, you can go to the bathroom and everything, it's incredibly lifelike so they basically live in the game when they're not in school and he's really into it he really loves gaming and this is where his problem comes in he is amazing at the game him and his friends are like coders they don't just play they know how to code the game they know how to break code they know cheat codes and they're trying to get into this thing called lifeblood deep there's like an ad for it outside of his door and basically lifeblood deep is the most advanced version of this game but you have to earn your way into lifeblood deep you have to you know, win tasks and do things that you're told to do in the game and advance. And if you fail a task, it puts you further back. So him and his friends are really great at this and they're trying really hard to get into lifeblood deep. It's like their big goal. But that kind of gets disturbed when one day something happens to Michael. So basically, long story short, Michael gets visited by some weird people one day that control the Vertinet, which is the name of this 
world that he's in that he gets told about this there's a mortality doctrine and this guy named Cain and and people are dying like actually dying and people are going brain dead and it's such an issue but these agents who are in charge of the game they can't figure it out because whoever's doing this is so powerful they can't even stop them themselves and since Michael and his friends are so good at gaming they're recruiting the best gamers in the game to try and solve this in order to get Michael's cooperation, they threaten him. They threaten his family. They threaten his friends. And they're like, you need to do this for us. You need to go find this Kane guy. And they're like, you need to take us to his lair. And once you get to his lair, then we'll meet you there. And we'll give you everything you've ever wanted. But if you don't do it, we're going to hurt your family. So they like threaten him. But then also like this kind of like this sense of like reward he'll get if he does do it. So he tells his friends about it. And him and his friends end up going on this really long journey to try and find Kane and the mortality doctrine and they're really great at what they do so they do find him now i'm going to get into spoilers because we're going to get into the story a bit more so they do find the guy kane but it's like this whole like journey to get there like first they go like and meet someone like i don't remember how they got that connection but they find someone who knows someone who knows someone who knows that the owner of this really exclusive club knows someone who knows where to find kane so they go to this club, there's like this kill sim thing that attacks our main character Michael and all of a sudden he has these really bad headaches and he thinks he's dying because he's like, oh, I guess that thing hurt me and I'm dying now. But he's dying in the game and kind of in real life because whenever he wakes up from the coffin, he still has these attacks. So he's, he's worried that he's going to die in real life because of whatever this kill sim has done to him because these kill sims are what are making people brain dead in the real world too. So anyways, they do end up getting into the club, getting the information they need. The club owner ends up getting killed by the kill sim, like, in real life. So when he goes back into the real world, he looks up the news, ends up finding someone who matches her description pretty well, and finds out that she did indeed die. So he's, him and his friends are freaking out because they're realizing the high stakes that are here, but they have to carry on with it because they don't want their family to get hurt. So they carry on. They go on this thing called the trail. This is what they end up finding out. They find out that Kane's lair is in this thing called the trail where you have to like go find a weak spot in the code in this one random game and then you end up on this trail where there's just going to be all these trials and tribulations to see if you can make it to Kane. The one good thing about the trail is, just like in the game, you die on the trail, you don't die, you just wake up back in your coffin, you have to start over. But the only difference between this and most games is when you wake up in your coffin, you can't just re-enter the game. You can never go back on the path once you're kicked off the path. <laughs> Michael and his friends are trying really hard not to get kicked off the path because they need to find Kane. But his first friend kind of freaks out at some point and then ends up getting destroyed. And so his friend's kicked off the path. Then his other friend gets like attacked by lava. She gets kicked off the path. And it's just him. And Michael does make it to the end. And I'm going to save that first, like, at the very end of this podcast, because what happens next is just bizarre. But I want to talk about some of my favorite moments in this book and things that I thought were kind of fun or cool about it. The, one of the big points that this book, I think, is trying to make is the power of AI, artificial intelligence, and technology in general. Because this Kane guy, they think he's just a really advanced gamer when this story starts, but... When his friend freaks out on the trail and gets destroyed, his friend says something wacky before he goes down. He's like, Kane's not a gamer at all. And then he's taken down. And then him and his other friend are left to ponder what that could have meant and why it drove their friend insane. And they find out that these things called tangents, which are basically artificial intelligence that's created within the game, they think he's that. They think that he's not a real person. And the reason that it's so hard to destroy him is because he's artificial intelligence. And that freaks them out a bit because they're not dealing with a real person. They're dealing with AI that's gone self-aware and is now trying to take over the game and has some kind of big plot against humans. 
Yikes. I think this is funny because this story reminds me of a lot of different stories, right? It reminds me of Spy Kids because of the gaming aspect, but it also reminds me of iRobot because of the fact that like artificial intelligence has now gained some form of intelligence and is upset about the way that humans have made them. They're, they think they're superior to humans and they're like, you made me and now I'm self-aware. I deserve a body. And so they're going to kill humans to get the body. That's what Kane's doing. Kane is making people brain dead so that he can put artificial intelligence into their bodies and so basically he wants the AIs to take over for humans because he's self-aware. And the thing is, that would be fine and all if artificial intelligence, I guess, could live their life. But artificial intelligence wears out and you die at some point early on if you're AI. You would need a body to live. Spoiler alert, I said I was going to get to this later, but I, I get to it now because it's relevant. We find out that Michael who thought he was real and who we think is real this whole book is actually just artificial intelligence as well. And it's like the big shocking point of this book. You know, like at the very end, he wakes up in his coffin after Kane says some bizarre stuff to him because Kane's kind of like mocking him. He's like, oh, you have no idea. You're doing amazing. And he's like, I found you. I'm here to destroy you. And Kane's like, no, 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 you, you did me a favor. Thanks. And he's like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm, I'm here to destroy you. He's like, you just keep proving yourself because Michael is kind of the chosen one. Not by the Vertinet, which they were tricked too. They had no, well, they knew that Michael was AI, but they had no idea what Kane's plan was. So everyone got doped in this because Kane got what he wanted. He put artificial intelligence into a human. But Michael, who was trying to stop this guy, ends up finding out that he is AI himself and that by completing the mission that was given to him by the Vertinet, he was actually completing a mission for Kane to prove that he was worthy of being the first artificial intelligence to enter a human's body, which is what happens to Michael at the end of this story. However, Michael is incredibly self-aware, not in the sense that he knew he was AI, but in the fact that he really thought he was a human. So he had already decided he was siding with human side. He's here to stop the artificial intelligence that's trying to destroy the world. And just because he finds out he's AI doesn't mean that he's going to just cave into Kane's plan. He also disagrees. He doesn't think that you should go around killing humans to put AI inside of them. But it's a really conflicting thing. That's why the story ends like that. Like he's got to learn to live in a new body because he was put into someone's body who was taken over by Kane. That's what makes like reading the next book so exciting is I'm ready to see how conflicting this is going to be inside of Michael's head. He was so convinced he was a human that it never crossed his mind he was artificial intelligence. He was living like a human lived. He had memories of his parents. He had memories of the people around him. He had what he thought were real life experiences. So it's got to be really conflicting for him now to realize he never had a real life and he shouldn't live that long and that he had taken over someone else's life. So it's really interesting to, to imagine what he's going to end up doing with that, right? Like, is he going to live forever in this other person's body or is he going to be so conflicted and try and maybe save the other person or is he just going to like not feel like he could live with himself because of that? Like, I know it sounds really dark, but like that's kind of what we're going with here, right? He's AI. He's become self-aware. He didn't want to take over this person's body. Kane did that to him. And so now it's going to be this kind of battle within himself what to do now so yeah i'm pretty excited to read that next book what i think is so good about this story and what made it interesting to me is i think that all of this talk about ai and how advanced technology is and the fact that michael had no idea he was artificial intelligence it just reminds me a lot of philosophy and like the brain in a vat theory right there's a lot of theories that this could probably remind someone of but for me i just thought of that one because like yeah, like people say like we could just be brains in a vat. How would we know? How would we know if everything we know as reality isn't even really a reality? How would we know that we're not Michael, that we're not artificial intelligence who's developed such a realisticness of life that we think we're real, but we're not really real? Are we living in a simulation? 
are we brains in a vat? Who knows? The simulation one probably would have been a better comparison, but still, like, who knows? What are we? I think that's what made this story so cool to me because it really, like, hit me deep, right? Like, Michael, you think he's real the whole story. He thinks he's real. And then you find out that he's just artificial intelligence who's thinks he's real and it kind of begs the question well what is real what is reality because he has memories and thoughts and he has friends and he has feelings so what is real and what isn't real and are we crossing some kind of line when we create artificial intelligence i don't know maybe i'm thinking too much into this but i think that's definitely like the point that's going behind this book right like how do we know what's real what is reality is reality so boring that we're all gonna try to switch over to like artificial life michael says it in the book many times he's like yeah life is so boring okay i'm gonna go to school i'm just waiting to get back into the vert net you know what's what's the difference like in the vert net everything feels incredibly real he feels everything that he feels in the real world in the vert net but he enjoys doing that he enjoys going into the vert net doing boring things you still have to live in the vert net you still have to do human things i guess there's just less responsibilities and less consequence because you know if you get hurt in the vert net you come back in the real world so it's just like an extension of real life with like some bonuses I guess but it's kind of interesting because it kind of begs this question of what's reality and what's not reality what makes reality reality how do we know that our reality is our reality I think that's definitely the most interesting thing about this story he actually has never met his friends in the real world that's something else he talks about when he talks about reality how him and his friends are always talking about meeting up in the real world but they're like eh whatever like what's the point like reality is boring he says that and but they still want to meet in real life because you know that's they're still real people at least they were under the impression they were real people but now they're all real people so he's like yeah we should meet in the real world sometimes but they never do that they didn't even know their friend wasn't real because they never met up in the real world so yeah that's that that's the story that's the eye of minds the first in the series i'll talk about the other books once i finish those uh, but the next up on this reading podcast is probably going to be john dies at the end with ella again look forward to that But before I go, my last bit of the book club discussion, which is the discussion questions. Today I got two questions because I thought they were rather interesting and I wanted to talk about them. One was, if you could live in the Vertnet, what would you do in there? Like I said, the Vertnet is basically an extension of real life, but there's no consequences and less responsibilities. I think that if I had a Vertnet, I'd probably just do what like Michael and his friends talked about, like where you just kind of spend like a whole day just at this like, there's like this big mall arcade thing with endless games and and like you could eat all the weird foods you want. You know, I probably have some fried Oreos and go ride some roller coasters and just, I don't know, just relax for the day and do everything fun without any consequence or anything. Because like, I have a weak stomach. I couldn't do that in real life. I couldn't eat something like a fried Oreo and then go on a roller coaster and be okay. But in the game, I bet I could. So I don't know. I would just I would just spend a day having fun. I'd also want to go into the black and blue club, the really exclusive club that they talk about in there, just because I think that'd be kind of neat. Like, what's it like getting a little tipsy in the vert net, you know? I don't know. It's probably really fun. But my last question is, would you change your appearance in the vert net or would you stay like yourself to make the game more real? I thought it was rather interesting too to find out that you could manipulate your image in the game obviously with all video games you can do that so it's it makes sense why you could but I thought it was really interesting to think that like him and his best friends have never met in the real world so unless they're like already like told each other what they look like or what their differences are they have no idea what they look like they could look totally different and so I just thought that was kind of neat because it's like in Spy Kids too remember like there was like those three kids and they were like so cool in the game But then when it came to reality, they were just a bunch of nerds. They just made themselves look cool in the game. I'd probably do something like that. Like, I'd try to make myself look, like, a little more muscular. Make myself buff. I don't know. Make my mohawk really sick or something. 
I would probably change my appearance a little to have fun. Like, well, why? Why would I spend all of this money to make a virtual world just to look exactly like I do? I might as well just live my real life recklessly. Let me know what you think in the book reads discussion linked below. Thank you for listening. And until next time, stay psyched.